listener production. Feed, Play, Love with Siobhan Hunt. Do you feel confident that you can keep your child safe online? Parents raising kids today are dealing with a constantly changing online world and it feels like the Wild West, but there are things we can do to protect our kids. Julia Inman-Grant is Australia's eSafety Commissioner and she's my guest on Feed, Play, Love. Hi, Julie. How are you? Hi. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. Julia, I think the first time we spoke, our kids were five years of age. How much has it changed even since that first conversation when we're talking about the online world and what kids are interacting with? Well, yeah, my twins were in kindy. They're now finishing fifth grade. And my eldest, who's 16, is overdoing an exchange in France, which is very exciting. But um, with my eldest, um, I pretty much was able to hold the line. You're not joining any social media or having having a phone until high school and you're 13 when you join Instagram or Snap or any of those things. And we tried to onboard her. But I I think the pandemic had some really interesting and lingering impacts. Of course, we know that everybody flocked to the, the internet to work, learn, play, explore, create. Everybody was online. We saw huge increases in all in terms of all forms of abuse. But one of the lingering impacts is that parents tended to be more permissive with technology use for younger children, and that's understandable. We were all trying to to manage so so much. What we're seeing now that kids are coming back to the school, and of course my kids say this, I'm sure yours, your 10-year-old tries this on too. Mom, everybody in fifth grade has a phone except for me, for us. Mm. And um but it's it's true. Like a lot of their friends who are 10 years old have phones and they've been on TikTok since they were seven, eight or nine. And these are commingled environments that young people should just not be on. But once you're permissive with technology use, it's very hard to ratchet it back. Mm. Which I think is a really interesting and important message to hear when you have younger kids Going back to when our kids were five, I remember thinking, I'm not going to need to worry about this stuff until she's a teenager. Like you said, you know, the permissions, you give permission for certain things when they're developmentally able to cope with it. And even then, there are a lot of things you need to go through with them. However, I was a bit misguided thinking that it wasn't going to be something I needed to think about until that age, wasn't I? I mean, when do we need to start? thinking about online safety? How old would our kids be? Well, we have resources for parents from zero to five years. (laughs) Um, And that's because we know that by the time most Australian children are two, they are given some sort of access to a device uh, like an iPad. By the time they're four, it's 94%. So we as parents really are the front lines of defense. Um, So we worked with Early Childhood Australia and other um, early learning um, organizations to develop an online safety book about Swoosh and Glide. So it's an under fives booklet and poster and teacher's guides. We did a play school online special. We have a family rules song. So this is all about 
sitting down and doing a family technology agreement with your children. This is where you can sit down with them and set parameters and limitations. And again, it is really important to stick to those. And we know that when you actually sit down and you discuss these and you make, you set the parameters together, the kids are more likely to to stick to it. We've just put out some exciting new resources for five to eight-year-olds. It's an animated series called The Mighty Heroes, and these feature four short animations featuring four online safety heroes. Um, they each have a superpower um, around respect, responsibility, digital resilience, and critical reasoning skills. Um, it's very fun. I, I think adults could learn a few things. Um, <laughs> yes. But listen, you know, this is, I think we need to start talking about good digital hygiene, just the way we think about washing our hands or brushing our teeth. Technology is here to stay. It's, you know, intertwined uh, with every aspect of our lives, but we need to continue to make sure that we're, our kids and ourselves, we're, that we're role modeling the right behavior, that um, they're balancing their time on games with going out and kicking the footy and playing with their friends, you know, riding their bikes around the neighborhood, um, that they're eating healthy, that they're not sitting all the time. Um, and and where we, we station them to use technology. I did an interesting speech where we sort of tracked what the, you know, the family viewing life looked like from the 1950s when, you know, Leave It to Beaver, Beaver was, um, very popular, but, you know, children want to be seen and not heard. And mom would be making dinner, um, you know, meat and potatoes and would wait for dad to come home. And that was a family viewing experience. It got a little bit racier in the 1970s. You know, our moms were doing a little bit more, um, you know, exotic dishes, um, maybe um, a spag bowl or some satay. And we had like Charlie's Angels and, and uh, Starsky and Hutch. If you fast forward to today, I don't know about your lounge room, but I've got the kids on one TV streaming one thing. We're streaming another. Another kid is, you know, on Snap making funny faces at her phone. We're not really co-viewing and co-playing together like we used to as a family unit. I want to talk about that because I know that is one way we can, I guess, be involved in our kids' lives and make make sure they're safe online. But just before we get to that part of how we manage things, can you articulate for me what the dangers actually are for younger kids? Because some people would say, oh, you know, what's the harm? They're watching Peppa Pig on iView and then maybe playing a game on my phone. How does that become a dangerous environment for young kids? Well, this is all meant for parents to be alert and aware, not necessarily alarmed, because there are things we can do to manage our kids' online use. I mean, I think I would start with, I don't know if you're familiar with Peppagate or, or Elsagate or Pippagate or, you know, My Little Pony having a different kind of pony ride. But there are malicious people out there that will sp splice either terrorist content or um, pornographic content into children's videos on YouTube. And so kids can come across this unintentionally. Mm. Kids may be exposed to pornographic content or other objectionable content by other kids, you know, on the bus or in the playground. Just because you set parameters for your child's technology use doesn't mean they can't be exposed in in other ways. And that's why it's really important just to keep the lines of communication open so that you, you know your child knows that they can come to you and talk 
to you about anything that made that they saw that made them feel uncomfortable, that made them uneasy with, you know, without fear of reprimand or device denial. But I think the most disturbing thing that we and long, our law enforcement partners have been seeing for a long time is what we call coerced self-produced child sexual abuse materials. So Roblox and Minecraft and Fortnite and all these, you know, fun, seemingly innocuous games have chat functionality. And when you have chat functionality and you don't set parental controls, that means anybody can reach out to your child and start a conversation and build that trust and use an imposter account or an avatar. So, you, you know, we try and teach kids critical reasoning skills, but you know, predators are, are very, very well versed on how to groom a child. You know, it might start off, you know, fairly what would seem innocuously or in, innocently, but then they might ask them to take off an item of clothing. And then once that happens, sometimes things can escalate. They may be blackmailed into engaging in sexual acts for the camera or blackmailed for payment. So that we've seen some instance of that happening as early as um, eight or nine years old. Um, but we've seen the really highly sexualized ones of, of teenagers. And, you know, sometimes you can hear the parents' voices in the next room. What we're all really um, trying to, to manage right now is a huge surge in sexual extortion cases that are coming through. And uh, this is backed by orga off-seas organized crime. And the targets are... 17 to 24 year old young men. Um, and it often uses a fake or imposter uh, profile with, um, you know, a cute blonde. And it tends to turn sexual very quickly. And, you know, they figured out that it's, you know, young men that are going to be willing to take risks and get themselves into hot water. And it's very distressing for, for a young person to be extorted. We've had people come to us after they've paid almost $10,000 mm. um, to try and get image, imagery taken down. So it's a, it's, it's, it's a pretty dog-eat-dog world out there on the internet, and we can't be looking over our kids' shoulders all the time. So we do need to put both the, the practices in place, uh, the parental controls in place, we need to make sure that they're using technology in open areas of the homes. So we can see how they're interacting with technology. We have our 16-year-old brings in her phone every night at nine o'clock and it charges overnight so that she, she isn't getting pinged all night. So, you know, she's not engaging in any sort of online um, conversation in the privacy of her bedroom um, mm. at all hours of the night. So. There are lots of different strategies that parents can take that are going to be right for their kids. I'd just say start early. When we talk about those early years, I think it seems like one of the gateways to uh, dangerous online activity is when a kid has their own device. And I'm wondering if you have any sense, you mentioned earlier that your 10-year-olds are saying, you know, everyone at school has a phone. Um, it might be more common for a younger child to have an iPad Firstly, am I right that having the device is part of the problem because they can then go into the room and close the door? And part of that question, I guess, is how many kids do have their own device, whether it's a smartphone or a, or a tablet? It's not even owning your own device. It's, it's access to a device. Mm. My kids don't have their own device, but they often find them, um, where's my phone or where's my iPad? Those little 
um, I'm trying to think of a nice word. I want to say um, those little scamps. <laughs> those little scamps. I've walked off with my device and, you know, they're, they're, I, you know, I even had one of my 10, 10 year olds set their own um, passcode with their thumbprint so they could get around it. So they're, um, they're very clever little, we'll, we'll call them um, white hat hackers. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I have them on uh, messenger kids. Um, so I can see everything that they're uh, talking to their friends about. And so I actually, actually see how a lot of the drama is playing out online. And that's what, that's what we're seeing with younger people, the, the cyberbullying through social exclusion, through creating dramas or starting rumors is, is starting early. Uh, and I know my kids at their school, there's a massive text chat that a lot of them are a part of, you know, again, they're just learning social skills to be able to navigate some of the stuff that happens in real time and going viral online is very difficult for children of that age to manage. I am sometimes surprised that parents don't really know the access that uh, a simple browser um, and a gateway to the internet can provide to a range of con content, whether it's about self-harming, whether it's about drugs, whether it's around uh, pornography, whether it's around body image and um, pro-ana and pro-bulimia sites. So we know that 65% of Australian 14 to 17 year olds has come across something that's seriously harmful online, that kind of content, and only about half of their parents are aware. Yeah, wow. And so when you say, you know, we need to start young, Part of that equation is parents need to accept that we're going to have a role in their online lives in one shape or form for a very long time. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's like putting training wheels on for them and then guiding them through. And again, the reason to start early is because if you wait until they're teenagers and they're trying to establish their independence and don't want to be what they might be considered, you know, surveilled or monitored, you know, if you leave it that long, it's probably too late. Um, so it's, you know, interesting sort of watching the debate play out around banning phones in schools. And while no parent wants their kids scrolling through Instagram during maths class, you know, I do worry that that kind of device denial type approach, that abstinence approach doesn't actually get to the core of the issue. How do we help children um, and even adults learn how to self-regulate, to, to use technology in healthy ways, to build that resilience, to build those critical reasoning skills? It's not like we can just ban, ban them from devices and then hope they'll figure out these skills when they go to uni or to TAFE. So there is an important role um, for us at home to start that that education and that guidance and that engagement. Um, but there's also a role for the schools. Mm. Um, we are um, requiring parents in many respects to to buy devices for their kids to do their their homework on, particularly for remote learning. We need to be t teaching them the safer rules of the road through the curriculum as well. With younger kids, I'm sure the first steps are to start talking about the use of technology and how to do it safely, that kind of thing. But can you give us any examples of how you might have started those conversations with your own children? 
I would start by um, sending everyone to esafety.gov.au and uh, to go to our early years section. Uh, we do have picture books that we sent out um, all of you know all over uh, libraries and schools across Australia, but you can order them from our website as well, and they're incredibly in- engaging. I mean. We developed like four key messages for kids of, of under fives. So it's, you know, be safe, be kind, uh, ask for help and make good choices. Um, and then uh, again, as we move on to the five to eight year uh, cohort, we talk about the four R's, the digital age, respect, responsibility, um, building digital resilience and critical reasoning skills. Again, we're doing that through animation. We've got to do this in ways that really in- engage kids and are age appropriate. We also have um, a range of scripts, if you will, on our website. So how to talk to your kid. We work with Dr. Justin Colson on um, how to talk to your children about pornography before the age of eight, between the ages of eight and 12, which is really that key sweet spot where you should be talking to your kids about that. And then, you know, how to talk to them when when they're teenagers. I mean, these are awkward conversations in the at the best of times, and I just think people are unaware about, you know, how how degrading and extreme pornography shows choking and slapping and domination of one partner over another to the extent it's violent. We don't want this to be used in a vacuum as a sex education tool. We want to talk to kids about what consent looks like and what respectful relationships look like. And, um, you know, this, this, this is happening younger and younger kids, seven or eight being exposed to pornography. And, you know, by the time they're between 14 and 16, they're going to be in exploratory phases and you want to have had those conversations with, with them Mm. about when to come back and talk to you about things that they don't understand or make them uncomfortable. Now, I mentioned earlier that it can feel like the Wild West on the internet, that children weren't necessarily forefront of developers' minds when certain things were coming along. Can you tell me about the Global Online Safety Regulators Network? What are they and why was it established? What does it do now? I think, you know, Siobhan, um, the eSafety Commissioner is is the first and for a very long time, the only online safety uh, regulator um, in the world. And we, we were established in 2015. And one of the things that we started to do in 2018 is to try and work with industry to think about safety by design. So how do they assess the risks up front? If they've got commingled environments that have kids and teens and adults, how do they safeguard the most vulnerable, our children? How do they build in those protections at the front end uh, rather than retrofitting after the damage has been done? I um, mean, that surfaced up a, a lot of great innovations in terms of how to keep kids safer online. It's voluntary, however, and you know, unfortunately, for whatever reason, having worked for 22 years in the tech sector, remediating personal harms and investing in online safety tended to be an afterthought. That was my observation. I see that from my perch as an online harms regulator today. So finally, we have other governments around the world saying, hey, there's a real problem here that this could be harmful to our citizens. A lot of the focus is on on, on children. So 
the Fijians uh, set up um, an online safety commissioner in 2018. The UK uh, has got an online safety bill that's pending. The Irish are setting up an online safety commissioner, and that role will be established probably in the middle of next year. And then the Europeans have created the Digital Services Act, and so all 27 countries will have um, some sort of authority that works in this space. So we thought it was really important to galvanize forces and get us all working together on common common issues rather than, you know, focusing on a patchwork of regulations that would be difficult for companies to comply with. But because, you know, as a small agency in, in the Antipodes, we're not going to be able to regulate the big, bad internet all on our own. You know, think about the wealth, the stealth, and the power of these these companies uh, that we're talking about. Mm. Um, that doesn't mean we'll, we'll, we'll shy away from trying to lift the lid and push them to do better, but it takes a network to combat a network. And I don't mean just a network of companies. I mean, organized criminal networks and pedophile networks and you know, a lot of what we're de- all dealing with is is bad behavior and malfeasance on the internet. So it's big, but I'm wondering if you're feeling optimistic that we are moving towards more understanding, more responsibility, more awareness of the dangers online for our kids. Like, do you feel, you know, five years on, six years on from when we first spoke, do you feel that things are changing, that people are becoming more aware? I think so. I think we've come up with a really um, replicable model that focuses on prevention, protection through our regulatory schemes and what I call proactive change. So initiatives like safety by design and our tech trends and challenges brief. So trying to stay uh, ahead of uh, where tech is going. Um, So uh, last week, we just put out a, a gift guide that almost exclusively focused on gaming and immersive tech, things like the headsets that will bring you into the metaverse so that we could we can make sure that parents are making smart purchasing decisions and they know what they're buying, they know what the risks are, they know how to employ parental controls, they know the the um, questions to ask. So I think I think that's really positive. I think we're starting to get cut through in terms of people knowing about us and reporting to us. I still think we're all very busy as parents. We know that 95% of parents see online safety as a primary online challenge, but only about 10% seek out the information. Mm. Um, and, And I think there tends to be a digital disconnect between kids and parents because, you know, dealing with these interfaces, it's almost intuitive to kids. We don't understand uh, what they're doing, but I think what we forget is that we have the life experience and the maturity um, that that we need to still bring them along, even if we don't understand, um, you know, how to create a virtual world in uh, Roblox or, you know, Mm. buy a skin in Fortnite. So we have to be um, more engaged, but I do feel positive. I felt like we were at the, the front of the peloton, you know, riding up the mountain with no one drafting behind us. So it's great that other countries are coming on board. We're having great discussions. You know, other people can learn from what's worked well for us. And we've certainly made mistakes along the way and things that haven't we've experimented with that haven't been successful. So I expect in the next five to 10 years, there will be a global network of online safety uh, regulators. So what was novel here will soon be commonplace, I hope. 
Well, here's hoping. And Julie, thank you so much for all the work you're doing on our behalf as parents. And we'll pop a link to the eSafety website um, in the notes of this episode. Julie, thanks for your time. Thanks so much for having me. That's Julie Inman-Grant. She's Australia's eSafety Commissioner. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love, a listener original podcast. If there's something you'd like to learn more about, email me at feedplaylove at sca.com.au. I'd love to hear from you. For more great kids and parenting podcasts, check out the listener app. And don't forget to follow us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.